Welcome to Live to Grind. My name is Brennan C. Adams, serial entrepreneur, inventor, TV creator, and speaker, passionate about helping others create something great and become unforgettable. Join me each week to discuss practical ways to help you increase your income and impact as an influencer in your industry. My goal is to help you take your business and lifestyle to the next level. Now let's get started. Welcome back to the Live to Grind podcast show. I'm Brennan C. Adams, and on today's show, we have John Shin. John is an executive producer of the movie Think and Grow Rich, a legacy, and he's involved in a lot of companies. And this show, I'm so excited about. You're going to learn so much from him. For one, how he became a millionaire at the age of 22. He gives his top tips on how to become a millionaire. We go deep into the financial side of things. We sat down at his house and did this interview with his production crew. And uh, I just, I wanted to ask him everything about his journey, how he got started. He actually got started, similar to me, working in a family business. He, at a young age, was working in a family business, which actually led to, uh, he talks about this, a tragic ending. There was um, a burglary, and uh, some people came in to rob the store, and it actually led to somebody dying. We go into that, and then he got into another business, which was a valet business, where he started that 18 years old. And he was making good money, and that ended with another tragic event where there was a group of people that had him at gunpoint and stole four of the cars. Uh, he shares the aftermath of that incident, and we can go to we go into detail on that. And then we kind of go into the the business side of things with John, where he's at now, and and how he makes his money, and and his advice his advice for you to make your own money. And, and also we go into the movie, the movie side of things with Thinking Grow Rich, the legacy, the impact that it is having today and, and what's coming next. I mean, there's heck since I've talked to him, there's been a few other theater releases and we have it now on Amazon. You can watch on Amazon. You can check that out on Amazon Prime and uh, it's just it's making a huge impact. And John has a huge mission with Thinking Grow Rich, the brand, his book. And everything else. I'm excited to jump in the show, but before we get to the show, I wanted to let you all know about the journey with success in your city. So we are doing success education, events, and all kinds of things that are around the show. And we're actually launching a new program. It is the Success Challenge. So it's a program where I'll be working with you in your business. I'll be challenging you. And it's, I'm really excited about it. It's something you have to apply for. So if you are interested in applying to the Success Challenge, you can go to successinyourcity.com forward slash challenge. That is successinyourcity.com forward slash challenge. Okay, well... Let's jump right into it with John Shin. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Live to Grind podcast show. I'm Brennan T. Adams, and I'm sitting here with John Shin. How you doing, buddy? What's up, In your man? own place. Hey. We're here. Look at this. <laughs> so we got John Shin, the executive producer of Think and Go Rich, the movie. We've known each other for a year and a half now. Yeah? Yeah. God, time flies, huh? Time flies. I got to spend the day with you. been hanging out at your house and just learning more about you, and I'm excited to jump in. Yeah. You know, I'm always fascinated, people that achieve success, where did their beginning like, where did they start? Where did mm-hmm. they grow up? Let's talk about where did you grow up? What was your childhood like? Wow. Uh, 
Who? Let's take us back to 1960-something, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, but I grew up right here in Los Angeles, right yeah. here, and and we have a, a very famous hamburger joint down here in Los Angeles called the Original Tommy's Burger, and it's uh, we grew up just a few blocks away. It's not in the greatest neighborhood. Yeah, uh, it's you know they call it the Rampart District, which is according to the Los Angeles Police Department, they say that it's the highest crime ratio is right there in Rampart, you know? Really? You know, and that's been years, but hopefully it's improved and the neighborhood's gotten better. But mm -hmm. we grew up there uh, for a few years and then we went to Eagle Rock, California, and then I pretty much grew up in Glendale, good old Glendale, California, right here, about 30 minutes from Calabasas. What, what was it like growing up? What, what were your parents like? Your mom, your dad, what kind of family? Were they entrepreneurs? You know, I think they developed, you know, my parents figured out very quickly to become entrepreneurs. My mother, uh, was a nurse for all these years, and then my mm -hmm. dad was an x-ray technician. Uh, both of them worked, you know, a couple jobs. They used to carry the pagers, yeah. you know, to because uh, they're always on call. And they realized very quickly that maybe they should start a business, and that was a better way to, you know, make money. And so, yeah, I grew up watching them start different businesses. So they've had the traditional stereotype of Asians owning delis and liquor stores and yeah. dry cleaners. Well, that was them. They had it all, you know, because uh, they just didn't know what other, you know, uh, creative business to be in. And that's what they did. And they did the manual labor. So I watched all that stuff. So did you actually work in the business? I did. What, tell me some of the businesses, what you learned and, and just what it was like. Well, we, I, you know, I think uh, one of my first places I worked at was my parents' liquor store. Mm -hmm. And seeing these people come in every day and drinking, buying alcohol. And I remember people would come in and buy bottles of something called Thunderbird and Night Train, you know? And it was like the cheap man's- Never uh, heard of it. Yeah. Oh, right. It's, it's like, like Fireball today's yeah, day and age. Yeah, exactly. Like Boone's Farm, you know? And, and they would ask for a brown bag and I was like wondering why they, you know, why they want a brown bag. Why well, can't, because you know, I was told that you can't drink alcohol in the streets and stuff, you know? And, and you know, I, I never wanted my mother or my father to be there because I started seeing bad people coming through, you know, daily, uh, you know, just to drinking their lives away. And they, and they were around a lot of drunks and people like that. And so, you know, I was always looking for a better way for my parents to make money and even for myself to make money. You know, I didn't want to do what they were doing. And it, it was one night, I'll never forget it, where my, um, my mother, it was a, a Saturday night and they were closing the, uh, the uh, what do you call it, the liquor store down. Mm -hmm. It was about one o'clock in the morning and I got the call that the police officers were there and my uncle driving me, because he was at my house with us at that time of day, at that, that time of night, and he said, we have to go to the liquor store, something happened, there was a shootout. And I kept on saying, is my mom okay, is my dad okay? And he said, no one knows the details, the police is all there, there's been a shootout. And I remember going there and, uh, you know, when I finally got there and hearing this horror story, how these three guys came in and one guy distracted one of my employees, the other one went down the other way, They're, they, they were getting booze and then one guy actually distracted my dad at the cashier and before he knew it, he pulled out a gun and there was an all out shootout. My dad pulled out a pistol, you know, he shot the guy that was over at the counter and wow. then and then we had two other uh, employees in the cooler because they were stocking in all the beverages so they're ready for the next day 
Well, inside there, they had shotguns inside the freezer. So they came out and they were literally unloading their, their, their shotguns. And, wow. and uh, it was an all out thing. And I remember my mom, she had a little, she was bleeding right here at the tip of her nose because, you know, the bullet that had the one of the guys had shot had grazed my mom's nose right here. And it, it cut it with the heat and this, the speed of it cut her nose right here a little bit. And that's where she was bleeding from, you know. So I said, I don't think I ever want to be in the liquor store business, you know. And so a few months later, we ended up selling that, you know, and then they got into the dry cleaning business. And so I had to be there and I'm in the back, man, literally like pressing, you know, uh, dry cleaning stuff, you know, and and it's. You did a lot of manual later. I did. Labor growing up. Yeah, a lot of labor, you know, manual labor, dirty, dirty. You what, know? I mean, your parents were all fine after the, the shooting. Correct? Yeah, they're they're great, you know, but they said, I, you know, I kept on saying, you know, I cried and pleaded with them because now they, they wanted to sell that and then go to another liquor store and buy another liquor <laughs> store, right? As if they didn't learn their lesson from there. But yeah, they eventually said enough is enough too. So What was that emotional experience like looking back on that? How has that kind of ingrained how you do business today? learning from that experience? Well, I learned about work ethics, you know, because I think too many people right now, they want to become financially independent, right? But they're trying to become a business owner or an entrepreneur with an employee mindset, which means working nine to five, right? And so they, man, they're already at 4.30, they're already clocking down, you know, the minutes so they can leave at five o'clock. And in some workplaces, people are backing their cars into their parking spaces so they can jet out of there even faster, you know, because they want to get out of that job, you know? And so we never learned, I never understood nine to five because I never really had a nine to five, right? So for me, working till 10, 11, 12, one o'clock in the morning on my business was a normal pattern, right, for me. So I realized that pretty early on, you know. You're a born Spartan entrepreneur. As yeah, you, you know it. what I mean? So when people say, oh, it's five o'clock, it's time to go home. I go, go home and do what? Like, <laughs> I, like I didn't even know what that meant, like to go home, you know what I mean? And so yeah, for me, it was just, just flat out work really hard and not let anybody else outwork you, you know? So when my friends were out partying, you know, I was actually running a liquor store. Yeah. You know, while my friends were work, uh, going to a party or some club or whatever it was, I was actually pressing someone's shirt for them to pick up the next day. So what? So how old were you at that age pressing the shirt? Were you in your teens? Yeah, I mean, I started when I was eight years old. So I like I knew automatically how to. My mom taught me how to count money. You know, <laughs> so when someone comes in and they buy something for six dollars and. 70 cents, right? That uh, how do I give change back? You know what I mean? So what was the first entrepreneur endeavor that you went on by yourself? Ooh, good question. So I actually went and got, so after all that kind of stuff, I told my parents like, after they sold their their dry cleaning and whatever, and now they're trying to figure out what else to get into. uh, I actually got a job as a valet parker, right? So valet parking at at a restaurant was a cool thing is you get a lot of tips, right? Tips, yeah. And so a bunch of the guys, we all got together. It was like our Friday, Saturday night thing. We would basically park cars and we would get tips. And so at the end of the night, one of the guys came around and he actually picked up just a ton of money from all the money we collected that night and parking fees and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, who does that guy work for? You know, and he pulled up in a really nice car, kind of like a, like a, like a, like a gangster, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he pulled up and he just, he pulled up and he rolled down his window and the guy who was running the event handed him a little envelope with cash in there and he drove away and that was it. And I was like, wow. I said, I think I can do this. Mm-hmm. 
So basically what I did is I started going around, I made these little business cards and it was called VIP parking. That was what it was called, VIP, VIP parking. VIP parking. Yeah, VIP parking, valet, VIP valet parking Inc. Right, and I wasn't even really an ink. I just called it ink because it looked cool. It but I didn't, cool. Yeah, it just seemed cool. I didn't even know what ink meant, right? <laughs> and uh, and so I made these little business cards at a local print shop, and then um, I went to a little uh, sign store, and I asked them to make me a little sign that says "Valet Parking Only," you know, three dollars, you know, and fifty cents. And so anytime somebody gave me three fifty, we would just go, oh, we don't have any uh, change. And I'd say, oh, they just keep it. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? So every car got five dollars. Does that make sense, right? And if we had, you know, three hundred cars at five dollars, I was making fifteen hundred dollars a making night. Making some good cash, yeah. Yeah, fifteen hundred dollars and minimum wage was like four dollars. I was like seventeen, eighteen 17, years old. Yeah. Young. yeah. And so, but I never told the people that we went and got the valet parking contracts that, that I was the owner, but I was the owner and I was just representing uh, the company, you know what I mean? And then I asked this, a friend of my, uh, one of my friends, I asked his dad if he would come and just act like he was the owner, right? And said, hey, I want to introduce you to the owner. And yeah. he's like, hey, nice meeting you. Yeah. Hope John's been taking good care yeah. of you. You know what I mean? That kind of stuff. And that was it. And he says, if anything ever goes wrong, you give me a call, right? And the guy said, hey, no problem. You know, so far John's been doing great. And so he, the father was just a figure. He wasn't even a real title person in my company. And so, yeah, it was pretty crazy. And eventually we were doing, uh, we, we would start hitting these nightclubs. And yeah, our nightclubs were the money is. $25 for valet parking, right? And if you had the front rows, you know, you, you paid a little bit more. Paid more. And so every Friday and Saturday and Sunday, I mean, even on Thursday nights, or I think it was Wednesday nights, it was salsa nights or something like yeah. that. And, and so almost every night I was bringing home, personally, at the age of like 18, I was bringing home like $1,500 a month. What, what was the one thing, so you probably had a lot of, I don't know, Lamborghinis and, and fancy cars come up. What was the one thing you learned from just the presence and the aura of those people that, of influence that came into that club? What did you take away from just analyzing them? You know, I just, I was wondering, like, what do all these people do? Like, what do they do for a living? You know, what, how, why do they come here and they drink themselves? You know what I mean? Why yeah. are they, why do they buy all this alcohol, you Spend know? Spend money, yeah. Yeah, blow money. You know, while I was trying to make money, they're throwing money away, you know? And so I said, I'm never going to do what these guys do. You know what I mean? So I never, I've never really ever gone in my entire life to a club yeah. and spent money for drinks before. Wow. Because I, I just saw these people coming out and just fumbling and, you know, just being silly, women just and doing being, dumb things. Yeah, and dumb things. All their money yeah, the guys doing stupid things. Women. It wasn't even a sex thing. It was just people were just so consumed with alcohol that it. I saw that destroy people's lives. You know, at the age of like 18, so I, I had no desire to do that. So I was like, I'm gonna make money, and I literally would come home and I count my money, and I'd go, man, I just made this much money. And even you're like 18 years old, 19 years old, and you're making 30 grand a month. It's pretty I mean, good money. Yeah, exactly. At the time where I was at, does that make sense? And I, I didn't want people to know I was making that kind of money, so I never went and bought fancy cars or did anything. I just I held all the cash. So what? How did you exit the company? How long were you in that? What uh, did you do? Yeah, how we exited the company was there was one restaurant, and this restaurant used to be a former bowling alley. So can, you can only imagine how big this place was. It was a big banquet center. And there were all these really nice cars in the front, right? Porsches and you, I mean, you name it, Mercedes and Ferraris and all that kind of stuff. 
And that night I had almost 40 guys working parking cars. So you can only imagine how many cars were coming through this place when you have 40 valet parkers. <laughs> Built right? up, yeah. yeah. And it was just enormous. Uh, just at that one location, 40 guys working parking cars, right? And I had stopped by, I'm in my suit and I'm sitting there just saying, you know, spending a little time with the boys and a little bonding session. And I see these four people walk up and you could tell they weren't very good guys. And, and the first guy comes out and he pulls out a gun and he says, give me the cars, I mean the keys to this car. Right? And another guy pulls out a shotgun and all I saw was his finger on the trigger and, I, and you know, it just scared the daylights out of me that if this guy gets a little crazy, gets a little finger trigger or barely even touches the trigger, that that, that shotgun could go off and shoot one and of my guys. Somebody, yeah. So I said, hey guys, we want no trouble. I said, just put the guns down. We'll give you all the keys, whatever keys you want, you can have it. And basically, they we want this car, this car, this car, and this car. They, they took the keys, they got in the car, they started driving away. They stole them. They stole them, yeah. And we had a guy, I'll never forget his name, was Walter, who had just applied to the sheriff's department. And we had another lot uh, somewhere else. And basically, he was at this other lot. And, and we would park cars over there, and he was driving a van, shuttling us back and forth. But we all had walkie-talkies and comps. And he basically, he heard us say that we're getting ripped off. They're ripping off four cars right now. Go, go, go. Everybody catch this guy. And Walter went chasing them in our rental van that we had from Budget Rent-A-Car. And uh, next thing you hear, down, just a few minutes later, you hear all this sound. And we knew that these cars had all got into an accident. And so, yeah, that was it. So we had to pay for four destroyed cars. You didn't have any insurance? We did have insurance. We had something called Garage Keepers Liability Insurance. Yeah. And it paid out, but the insurance company basically um, terminated our contract. And we couldn't get insurance anymore after that. No one wanted to insure us because we had four cars. So you were out of business then? We were out of pretty much business, yeah. We had four cars and a rental. We had five cars completely totaled. You were 17? I was, I was 19 years old now. Yeah. 19. So who were your mentors at that time? Because you had to have somebody at least guiding you. I mean, you're 19 years old, you're making good money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who are some of your mentors? <coughs> oh, man. Who are some of my mentors? I've got a lot of mentors. I, I have at been, least at 19. At 19 years old, when you were just getting into entrepreneurship, who taught, from, like, taught you the things you knew? I, I think the mentoring actually even began when I was five years old, you yeah. know? Uh, my first mentor uh, are my parents. You know, they've been incredible mentors to me. My dad and my mom, and both of them had their own way of mentoring. So mom was more the, the you know, the good person kind of mentor, doing the right things all the time, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's not about money kind of thing and always treating people right, you know? And then my dad had, was a different kind of mentor. He was more of a, philosophical mentor, right? In terms of, he never gave me the answer, but he would also give me some sort of a, a story or a lesson. Give with, me an example. You know. Well, one time he said, you know, I was telling, we, uh, he just said, I was really down, right? And he said, uh, sometimes, you know, you have to learn to, um, uh, well, the, well, the outcome was what it is, but he asked me one time, he said, put my hands together like this. And, and, you know, I put my hand out like this and he goes, let's imagine for a moment that inside that hand you have rotten rice, like bad rice. And I said, okay, great, I'm holding on to all that rice. 
And I said, okay. And then he says, but if you, if you, if you eat that bad rice, what is it going to do to you? It's going to kill you, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to poison you. It's going to make your tummy hurt and all that kind of stuff. But if you have to eat though, right? You have to have more rice and you, and you can't eat because you got all that in there. So if I took regular new rice and I poured it into your hand, what would happen to all the other rice? And I said, basically it would, it would overflow. And he goes, yeah, but the main rice, the bad rice is still in your hand. All the good rice is what? Overflowing and it cannot, you cannot hold on to the new rice. I said, okay, that's, that's true. So he says, well, what do you think you need to do? And I said, well, I need to get rid of my old rice. And he goes, exactly. When you get rid of your old rice, then you get new rice, right? And it's the same thing in life. If you hold on to all your negative things in life, right? And all that baggage and all the things that have happened to you and you hold on to it, new things can't even come into your life because you can only have a capacity of holding so much. But until you let those things go, new things cannot come let into go. your life. Yes. I like that. So you have to learn to let things go and dispose of them. What, that's a really good lesson. What are some other lessons that you learned that you apply today that you think about in terms of just valuable lessons to life and making money and also just living a good life? Well, one thing my dad always said is be frugal with your money and invest your money and don't get too caught up in all the material things because all the material things don't don't go up in value. You know, they always mm -hmm. go down in value. They depreciate. So building. Exactly. So he says there's good debt and then there's bad debt. You know, bad debt are your credit card debts. Does that make sense, yeah. right? Uh, but good debt is like real estate. You know, if you're buying real estate, that's good debt. So he taught me all about those kind of things. So he was more the money finance guy. And then my mom was the character type mentor. So they've been wonderful role models, right? And then my master, my martial art master, he was extremely uh, uh, tough on me in terms of me being one of his first students and trying to build up his own you know, studio than how I was supposed to be a role model to everybody else, right? How many years did you do that? 20 years. 20 years. 20 years. So you, why so long? Were you just passionate about it? Did you want to become somebody in that industry? Um, one thing he said to me was he says that if you really want to know martial arts, you won't understand martial arts or learn martial arts until you become a black belt. And so what I learned from that is it took seven years in our school to get a black belt. Wow. Okay, so there's not a whole lot That's of black lot of belts. commitment. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? So one thing I learned is to be patient. Sometimes when you want something really, really bad, you want instant gratification. And so a lot of the younger generation people today, they're used to getting things quickly, now, you immediate. Want it now. Exactly. They have the I want it now syndrome, right? Even the microwaves are too, taking too long, right? Mm -hmm. At two, three minutes. Yeah. Um, phones, internet, everything, TV speed, internet speed, everything has got to be gratification. instant. So when you go in business, you want that instant gratification and it's not going to happen for you instantaneously, right? And so, you know, what I heard one time uh, someone said to another person who was speaking, he said, uh, the question is, is, uh, you know, how do you develop your purpose? Like, what is your purpose? And the response was, you don't find your purpose, purpose finds you. Purpose finds you. Right? And... I thought that was kind of an interesting comment or response. And so the guy that's in the audience says, I have another question then. And the speaker says, what is it? And the, speaker, the, and the person in the audience says, well, I was wondering, how can I get purpose to find me faster? 
<laughs> right? Because I want to learn it. I want my purpose to find me really fast. And so they said, that's a really good question. And he says, well, why do you want it fast? Because that's the world we live in. We yeah. want instant right now. And the thing is, success doesn't happen overnight. And you have to be ready for the success. So everything, all the little stumbles and all the things and challenges and adversities that you have are preparing you for it. So it's like someone says, teach me calculus, but you haven't heard algebra yet. Yeah. Right. Or teach me algebra, but you even have, you haven't even had geometry or, you know what I mean? Or you haven't had uh, 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 multiplication tables memorized yet, yeah. you know? It's trying different things because a lot of people, like you said, they want it now. Exactly. But if they realize that they failed, failure is a learning process mm -hmm. that actually prepares you for that. Because if you just got it right away, let's say you just were given a million dollars without even working for it, you would lose that so quick. Exactly. <laughs> so what, what was your first investment that you did growing up? Like what was the first thing that you invested in? Um, so I want to answer that question, but I want to finish the thought on the martial art thing. Yeah. So there was a, there's a school down the street and they, they opened up a school and they wanted to take a lot of our students away from our school to their school. Mm -hmm. So they were selling uh, classes and they were giving away black belts. Like you can get, become a black belt in two years, not seven years. So we lost a lot of students, right? Cause everybody wanted their black belt, but they wanted in yeah. two years, right? Which is fine. I mean, if you want a black belt, go buy one for five bucks. So the person went, a lot of people went over there and then it, we ended up having the local and the state championships, right? Tournaments. And we all went there. So we went there and they went there. When we got into a black belt tournament, the black belts, their black belts who had been trained for two years versus ours that had been trained for seven years, we were in the same tournament and every single one of their people ended up knocked out or going into an ambulance and being carried off on a stretcher. Years on, I mean. Yeah, exactly. Because they don't have the stamina, the experience, the muscle, you know, the, the, the strength and everything else to prepare you for a black belt tournament. You don't have, you haven't developed the speed. So I learned very quickly that it's not just about getting a black belt. It's about training and getting into the habit. It's a process. Absolutely. The absolutely. Yeah. So people say, I want to make a million dollars today. Well, that's great. But then why do so many people win the lotto and they lose all of it, yeah. right? Because they haven't been trained. They don't even know how to, you know, because they don't know how to retain that money. It wouldn't even be as glorious to just get the black belt in two years. If you spend seven years, you worked and earned that. And That's you right. get it and you're proud That's of it. That's right. That's right. You know? how, what was your record? Did you, how many times did you go into fights? I, I don't know how that works. Ooh. Um... I mean, first of all, I was never, I was never knocked out, so I don't even know what it feels like to be knocked out. You know what I mean? But I have knocked out just about everybody. You know, whether it was a, you know, a kick to the body and knocking out their wind, or a kick yeah. to their face, or you know, and it knocked them out, and you know, they called it quits. But um, I couldn't even tell you how many fights I've had. I mean, you know, in tournaments because we were competing almost every weekend. Uh, we were, you know, we were going to some tournament somewhere. And then we went to the state, we went to the nationals, we went to the world games, Pan American games. Wow. And so, yeah, we were, I mean, it was like our life. I mean, that's do all we did. Do you still do any kind of practice? Yeah, I mean, I still practice. I don't compete anymore. I mean, I don't, you know, have the same regiment that we used to yeah. have, obviously. But, um, but I can still do the splits. I mean, I can still wow. kick over my head. I can still do a, a spinning hook kick and, you know... I just don't have the speed like I, I used to. I want you to. on my side if somebody's yeah. going to jump us. You know what I mean? I mean, there's, you know, there's so many things that people do in martial arts that I may not be able to kick with speed over my head or something like that, but I still have all the techniques if we were to go down to the ground, 
you know, I got all my pinning and all my grappling. You work you towards know. your strengths. Yeah, you exactly. Yeah, and, and the thing in martial arts too is that it doesn't matter how big the other person is. The bigger they are and the more, you know, stiffer they are, the easier it is to take those guys down. Yeah. So it, it, It's always interesting to watch these fights. You have a really big guy and this tiny guy, but that person just knows their moves in one hit. Right. Just yeah. takes one hit. Yeah. You know, but how long did it, to, did it take them to train for that one hit, to knock them out? No different than how long did it take somebody to make that one deal that made them a million dollars? Exactly, yeah. So what was the first investment? First real investment uh, that you put money down? I think my first real investment was actually um, was on a piece of property. You know, And I bought a single family home because everybody said buy real estate, buy real estate. And I bought the house. I bought it for $200,000. It was about a $200,000 property. And then we ended up um, selling it for, I think it was like 450,000. So we made you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars on that deal. And the, the challenge I had was not, fortunately we made money on the back end. The, the challenge was finding a tenant to stay occupied in my property and pay me rent on time every single month, mm -hmm. right? So that was the biggest challenge. So if you don't have a tenant, you're basically having to shell money out of your own pocket. So when everybody says, oh, real estate's such a great business you know, opportunity, yeah, they're only giving you the, the, the positives of it, but they're not telling you the other side where if you lose a tenant and you're trying to find another good tenant to come in, it's not gonna trash your house, you know, what do you gotta do to find that good tenant? So we, we left the, the, the residential space and we got into commercial. Okay. And we liked commercial a lot better and we also liked multi-unit. So when you're getting you know, uh, 50, 100, 200, 300 unit complexes, it's a lot better because if you have one or two tenants who don't pay, you still have 298 you have others. enough to cover your, yeah, your exactly. loan and, and plus some. That's right. You know? So what was real estate, was that your first big moment of making hard cash of six figures like, hey, was real estate your first big win? Um, real estate was, yeah, I think real estate was probably the biggest, like first lump sum of money that we got. And what was your mindset process? Like what were you thinking in the moment because you look at what you'd made prior to then and then you had this big win. What was going through your mind? I said, if I could just do this five more times, <laughs> right, then I'd have a million. If I did it 20 more times, I had X dollars. And so I always had this desire to hit at that time, it was basically like, I need to get to $10 million, mm -hmm. right? Because if I go to $10 million, okay, and if I make 10% uh, return on my money, I'd make a million dollars. At right? what age were you a millionaire? Ooh, I think first by the first time you had it, because it, you probably went back, if you went back and forth, but what was the first time that you officially, you realized, okay, I'm officially a millionaire? Now, when you say millionaire, that means cash millionaire or equity in your house and everything net else or, or total net worth. Net worth. Oh, I think I was there probably at what, 22, 21, 22? At what time was it cash? Uh, I think, oh, cash millionaire. Yeah. I was probably a cash millionaire by the time I was, um, gosh, that's a good question. Let's say probably 22. Two, 23 years old. So thinking about that now, because I know so many people that are either watching, listening, they're like, okay, I want to become a millionaire. What can I learn from that? What is your advice for somebody that is looking to obviously achieve a millionaire status and even beyond? What's your top three tips or, or tangible steps to apply to be able to get there? To make a million dollars? Yes. Uh, well, first thing I've always said is make sure that whatever you sell, 
right? If it's a product that you're selling, make sure that the product you sell is a necessity versus a luxury, right? Because if it's a necessity, everybody has to buy it. Mm -hmm. like, like auto insurance is a necessity. You can't say, let me think about buying auto insurance because everybody has to have yeah. it by law, right? Now, health insurance is a requirement. So why would you not want to sell something that everybody must have because mm -hmm. it is a necessity? That's one of the reasons why if you look at Apple and you look at phones and you look at you know uh, Microsoft, they provided a product that everybody pretty much needed. It was almost like you couldn't function anymore. Yeah. It was a necessity. But if you're going to sell nice cars, that's not a necessity, right? That's more of a luxury item, yeah. right? I had a friend who came to me and sold me some knives. It wasn't my friend, it was my wife's friend. And, you know, the, the, they did a little demonstration of the knives and I'm like, oh my God, like I'd be afraid to use those knives on my finger in case I cut it off. Yeah. And they said, John, it's quite the contrary. You know, the reason why most people chop off their fingers or injure themselves is because their knives are so dull that as you're cutting, you're pushing so hard that you slip and you miss and you cut yourself. Uh -huh. But if you just let the knife do all the work without you having to press your finger you down, don't you, worry about it. Yeah, you don't have to worry about it. And I said, oh wow, I said, how much are these knives? And he said, $6,000. <laughs> I was like, $6,000? I said, dang, I said, that's, that's not a necessity, that's a luxury. But my wife really wanted those knives at that point, and so we ended up buying a couple sets, you know, a full-blown, you know, nice. uh, knives, exactly, you know, for our kitchen. But those are all. Uh, so number one is necessity. A necessity is absolutely critical, okay. right? Uh, number two is make sure that you sell a product that you're going to get residual income, right? So whatever yeah. you sell today, you'll still continue to get paid on the back end without having to. Not one time. Exactly. So you know, my wife started investigating and researching and studying all the different industries that had residual income, and what she discovered was number one is you can you make residual income in the entertainment industry. Yep. Right, so film, commercial, TV, every time it airs, you're getting paid you're again, getting paid. right? Now that's true residual income. Uh, movies, you know, is residual income. Yep. Uh, uh, music is residual income. Uh, financial services is residual income. Credit card, merchant processing industry has residual yep. income. So we wanted to get our hands in whatever has residual income on the back end. Okay, so that's number two. Yeah. What's number three? Uh, number three is a product that's going to be, you know, that you can do mass production, right? Instead of like a, instead of selling one Rolls Royce, that you can sell a lot of something. A lot. Yeah, exactly. You know, so that, that a whole, because if you have a big old audience, you know, how many people can buy a Rolls Royce and how many people can buy a Toyota? How do you, how do you figure it out? Because a lot of people are wondering, what do I sell? Like, mm -hmm. how do you discover your product to sell? Um, you don't, I don't, I never really discussed, um, I never really created the products. Basically, you find the people who are creative that bring the ideas to you. And you sell it. And you sell it, yeah. Like, I had one girl who came to me and she says, John, I've got this great wig. I was wearing this wig at this EDM event and everybody asked me about it. I was like, wow. Well, What's so special about the wig? And she says, wait till you see it. And the moment I saw it, I was like, wow, that's a really cool, I thought it was your hair. I thought, yeah. it's so cool. And she says, I think we can sell this thing. And I said, really? And she says, yeah. And I said, well, let's find out if we can find somebody in China to make it for us. And they said, yes. So they, they created this, they, we sent the wig to China. They actually came back to us and told us that the wigs would cost us basically 50 bucks. Yep. She sold them for 550 on Instagram. And on the first day, she sold a thousand of those 
on Instagram, multiply that by $500 wow. a piece profit. Okay. So you just do the math. It's a lot of money. Exactly. Right. And so it, it, people come up with ideas and you just have to be open. And most people just aren't open. Right. And that's why they're poor because they have this, this mind is completely sealed from any kind of an idea or a business or a way to make money. They're not open-minded. And so I always like to hear every business idea because it's like, well, what if, you know what I mean? You At least know. you don't know. What if someone told you that you could buy it into Facebook, right? What if you could have bought into Google? What if you could have bought into Alibaba or Amazon for that matter, right? What was, what was let's talk about, I'm really just fast. I want to go deep in the investment side. So what is one investment that you made that you would have never thought or a product that you helped sell that you would have never thought that it was going to be one of your biggest wins, but it was? Like um, the hair, I just thought of like, what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a product called an IUL, which is called an Indexed Universal Life Policy. Okay. Right. And, you know, they call this uh, Anthony Robbins in one of his books calls it the rich man's IRA. Right. Yeah. Because the idea is you could put a ton of money into this IUL. Right. Into this. There's basically a life insurance component component to it. And then there's a savings portion compared yeah. to that savings portion has a guaranteed floor. So no matter what the market does, you always get one percent. And that's like the minimum return on your money, let's say, hypothetically. Uh -huh. yeah. And then and then on the upside potential, you can go up as high as 15%. So you'll never lose your principal, but you're going to earn somewhere between 1% and 15%. That's not a bad opportunity, no, you know what I mean? Yeah, that? with no risk. I mean, yeah. there's absolutely no risk. So all these people who get clobbered is because they get greedy. They want all the upside potential, but, they, but, but at the same time, on the downside, they're also going to take the hit. And so you've got to pay. So they don't diversify. They don't. They don't. You know, and I hear a lot of different people on social media. There's books and put all your money in real estate. Okay. And so that's crazy. That's putting all your eggs in one basket, as you just alluded to. Right. So diversify your portfolio. You know? do, you, do, do you do anything with cryptocurrency? Yes. So I had somebody, I didn't know anything about cryptocurrency. I didn't really know how it worked. It's a big millennial thing. Yeah, it's a like big right thing. Now. And in so, crypto. yeah. So actually the only way to find out about crypto is you, you have to invest in it, you know, and find out for yourself. How does it work? You know? And I didn't really understand, understand what crypto was. I didn't know if it was a tangible product, if it's a piece of paper, is it, you know, what is it? You know what I mean? And then I, I invested into it and basically I invested into computers that mine you yeah. know, they mine the cryptocurrency, yeah. right? And so when, when, you, when you buy these machines, they're super loud, right? So when you have, you can't just create a machine and stick it in your family room, in your living room, because this, the sound is just so enormous and it takes a lot of power, yeah. right? And so what you want to do is you got to go into another location where there is uh, lower cost of energy, yeah. right? And so there's certain states where that cost is very low. That's why people like going to a place like Montana and they get a big old warehouse because like of that Bitcoin mining. Exactly, okay. Bitcoin mining. <clears throat> so you keep that overhead down. So where, where do you see the future of that? You know, Just if I had initial thoughts. Yeah, I mean, if I had the crystal ball, I mean, I'd be a multi-gazillionaire, you know what I mean, yeah. if that's such a word. I don't know. I don't know. I think the the greedy part of me says I want to put all my money in crypto, right? Yeah. But realistically, you know, it just depends on whether you think the dollar is going to be anywhere, right? What is the future of the dollar going to be? I mean, what is the future of the dollar? I mean, the dollar, what's it worth? About 72 cents of the actual dollar? Yeah, dollar, exactly, yeah. right? So if you compare that to Europe, like, 
last year we went to Europe and uh, we, were, we were walking around Italy and Greece and, and so we went to a store and we had a $100 Ben Franklin. So I said, hey, I got a $100 and I asked them what my exchange was and they were giving me back 70 euros for, uh, uh, for $100. So I lost 30% of my money in just in the conversion. So yeah, I mean, I don't know where the future of the dollar is going to be, but I, I tell people, you know, don't put all your eggs, eggs into uh, I mean, crypto. looking into it, we're, we're due for a recession. Don't mm -hmm. want to like scare anyone. But if knowing that, what would be your advice to somebody going over the next three to five years to ride the storm? So, you know, it's interesting when I look at uh, certain investments, uh, it seems like almost every 30 years, there's a, two, there's, a, there's a period of, that every two years, every 30 years, it goes two negative years. And if I had the brochure, I can actually show it to you, but it's pretty amazing that there are certain corrections here and there, and it's like a one-year cycle. But every, almost every 30 years, there is a two-year cycle where the market goes down for two years. And it's very consistent. And I've got the whole graph from 1933 to 2016 to show you the actual numbers and the proof of it. And we're due for it. So, well, I, uh, the last time we had was... was um, 2008? 2008. So we got a little more time before we see two negative years in a row, but... When the time comes, yeah. be ready. Yep. And be ready to get in on great opportunities. That's the thing, like, for the downfall, there is opportunity for people to get in on great deals. Yeah. Stock. And so I have a friend who basically... Uh, said, hey, John, do you like shrimp? And I said, I love shrimp, I love right? Shrimp too. And I said, he goes, John, he goes, I want to bring some over. And he brought him over in these ice, you know, <clears throat> um, chest, like crushed ice and stuff. And in it were these shrimps that were enormous. They didn't even look like shrimps. I mean, they looked like They're lobster. The jumbo ones, yeah. Yeah, it was like tiger like Texas, shrimp on yeah. steroids, right? I mean, they were huge. See, these are the biggest shrimps I ever had. I said, how did you get so many? And what ended up happening was, when the economy went down and then we had the natural disasters down in Texas and the yeah. Gulf, all those companies that were out there that were in the, in, the, in the shrimp business basically sold all their boats for shrimp. You know what I mean? Oh, wow. So there was one guy out there who basically saved all his money, was able to weather the downside of the market. And when everybody was leaving, he, he basically went and bought all their businesses and all their boats. Right? So he literally at that moment took that opportunity and built up one of the biggest shrimp distribution companies in the United States. And so he, he saw an opportunity. He saw an he opportunity, it. yeah. So if we're talking about that right now, and I'll state my thoughts, you can state yours. Looking into the future of where money can be made. Let's say yep. if everybody wants to become an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. where do you think money can where you can find the most opportunity to make money, to be the quickest to the million bucks. I mean, it's all going to take time. Where do you see the most opportunity in the future, where we're at now in entrepreneurship and business? Wow. I would still say that uh, the financial industry is, is a way to make a million dollars rather quickly. Yep. You know, because... Why? Well, it, it pays big money. I mean, mm -hmm. it pays a lot of money. You know, if, I, if you had $200,000 in an IRA or a 401k or a SEP IRA or whatever it is, and I took your money and I transferred into, let's say, an annuity, mm -hmm. which has all these wonderful guaranteed features in it, on $200,000, you get paid anywhere between 6 and 7% on that. Mm -hmm. So at 6%, it's 14000 
It's good money. Right? And, and that's one time you get that up front and, hey, that's pretty good money, you know? Yeah. And then, of course, you get a percentage of whatever your cut Going is of on, that. Yeah. But, excuse me, so yeah. financial, okay, so you see that. What else do you see? Um, I think that uh, um, right now content of some kind of uh, content to help people grow their business businesses, right? Like so, educational content, video content? Yeah, video content, all that kind of stuff. But as long as you're providing not only just the content, but a system that people can duplicate, right? So what does a system, what does system, S-Y-S-T-E-M, that word system stand for? It is an acronym that says, save yourself some time, energy, and money. Mm -hmm. That's what a system is, right? So if you create a system and you're going to save me what time, energy, and money, I'm willing to pay Thank you for that. for that, right? So what, what kind of systems are you creating for me and providing value for my business, okay? So I see a lot of people on social media, don't you want to be somebody, don't you want, you know, and you know, and they're raw, raw on everybody, and you can't hype yourself to success, right? No. You don't you get yourself, you can't go and, and deposit hype and, 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 and uh, rhetoric and excitement into your bank account, you know? Yeah. So you gotta be able to embrace systems, and I'm not the guy who's gonna create every system. I'd rather have someone, somebody else create the system and sell it to me so I can use it to get my business to the next level. Right. Have somebody do the legwork, you figure it out, and you yeah. learn. That's why I don't understand. Why wouldn't you invest it? I've always invested in mentors or found somebody that already achieved what I achieved. Because if you want to do it yourself, you're going to have so many costly mistakes. Yeah. Just hire the person to show you exactly it's, how to do it. The blueprint. Yeah, exactly. You know? Um, yeah, I, you know, just yesterday, and I don't want to give it away, but I saw this great movie called The Hunter Killer, right? And it's about... Um, you know, the submarine that has to get over to enemy, enemy territories over into the Russian waters. Yeah. And in that Russian water, and this, this is spoiler alert, so <laughs> right now you may want to like, you know, mute or turn down the volume, but he basically shows, uh, he finds another Russian person who knew where all those mines were, right? And to get that submarine and navigate them through the waters underwater, right? To avoid all the different mines. And so the idea of, of finding a mentor and a coach is the same idea in principle to save you from crashing into those minefields and those landmines and prevent yourself from that failure, you know what I mean? It's so important. It's important to the people you're surrounding yourself. You talked about before, if you have the bad rice, you have to get rid of it. That's right. And so many people keep this bad rice or bad people in their life That's right. and they can't ever move forward. It yep. leads me to think and go rich. Yep. When were you, how old were you when you first read the book? Ooh, so that was 1996. I was probably no more than, what, 25 years old or so? So you read the book, and what was your first takeaway? I mean, every time you read it, I feel like every time I read it, something different comes. But when you first read it, what was your main takeaway? Yeah, you know, reading Thinking Grow Rich, it's not one of those things where you read it once, and you go, oh, I got it. It's like watching the movie Matrix, Right, where you had to watch it a couple times just to go, what was that? It was good, it was great, but I didn't understand. And you have to watch it a couple, or the movie uh, with Leonardo DiCaprio uh, oh, with Inception, yeah, right? Yeah. Where it was like you're in a dream inside of a dream inside of a dream, and it was so. And once you finally understood, you're like, wow, you know, yeah. it's like unbelievable. Or reading the Bible, you know, you can't read just one verse and go, oh, I got it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, thinking Grow Rich is like that. Uh, every time, as you just alluded to, I read it again, I'm like, I never got that. 
And it's interesting because as I sit there and I read the book, I'll highlight, I'll underline, and I'll do little, little writings on the side. And I'll read those again, but then the next time I read it, there's another sentence or a paragraph that I didn't highlight. And I'm like, did I, what, how come yeah. I didn't get that the last time? You know? But yeah, I think that book is a must read for everybody. And for me, when I read it, I couldn't put it down, right? I just, I, I just, it was like I had to go to the next chapter. You know, what's the next nugget? What's the next nugget? What's the next nugget? You know, so. It's, it's just nice talking because we, we both have had, I mean, the book has changed so many lives. You just right. told me it sold over 160 million copies worldwide. Right. For me, when I read it, I realized you saw what Henry Ford and Thomas Edison, these people did. They were no different than you and I. They just, That's right. They want to be extraordinary people. They did extraordinary things. Mm -hmm. They followed through and they just kept going. The problem is everybody wants it now. That's right. In our era, they want instant gratification. You have social media that you're going down. It's like, I need the next thing. ADD. It's like, mm -hmm. I want it now, but it takes time. That's right. That's it doesn't right. happen overnight. That's so right. what is it like to be the executive producer of the movie Thinking Rich? Ooh, what's it? Oh, man. What, what an incredible honor. <laughs> you know, it's just... To, to be able to put that amazing book into a theatrical setting so that people can watch it now on TV. And you know, every, every, everybody always thinks it's similar to The Secret. And, and I thought The Secret was a wonderful movie when yeah. it first came out. I don't wanna knock The Secret, I thought it was phenomenal, but it's totally it's different. totally different. Totally different than The Secret. And you know, I've had somebody who says they're a huge Secret fan, and, they were actually at my house and I said, listen, I, I, would you like to see just a three minute clip of it? And so I took them into my movie theater and, and we saw three minutes of it and they were like, oh my gosh, like this is amazing. Where can I buy it right now? And it, it, people need to get that movie, watch it. It's a game changer. It is, you know, and I'm, I am super, super honored that, and it was a privilege for me to be the executive producer and to be around people like yourself, our director, Scott Servine, who did yeah. a phenomenal job, you know, with the time and the resources that he had. I mean, it was, it was just phenomenal. It's amazing. It's cool to see that bringing it together, all mm -hmm. the amazing people of, of our time. Sure. And it, what it does allows people, because not everybody can relate to the Henry Ford or people way back when. Right. We're talking people now like yourself that are doing it in mm -hmm. their own way, That's applying right. the principles. Mm -hmm. And it's in a movie. That's right. I, like I'm honored to, to be a small part of it and, and being with you and, and just on this journey and it's just the beginning. That's right, and that's right. that leads into your book. That's right. So t talk about what's going on there. So it was, uh, you know, it was interesting as the book, or the movie came out in October yeah. of 2017 and we Hard did this. That was a year it, ago. Yeah, isn't it crazy? My goodness, it was almost a year right <laughs> till I this. proposed, and then you were just at my wedding, which was exactly a year later. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah. Wow, and what a beautiful wedding yeah. you guys had. It was awesome. Thank you. you it know? was fun. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, as as people came up to me and said, "What a great movie! Can we get you to come and speak?" And as I was going to different places to speak, I wanted to really deliver an awesome message. You know, I didn't want to just to be. Don't you want to be somebody, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, although I do believe that everybody is wired for success, but programmed to fail, yeah, right? Sadly. And so, <clears throat> yeah. What content can I give? So I went back and I started reading, and then I went and checked out that there's other books, right? There's a there's a Thinking Grow Rich Black Choice by Dr. Dennis Kimbrough, and there's a Thinking Grow Rich by Lionel Sosa, and then Sharon Lecter, who also co-authored all the Rich Dad Poor Dad books with Robert Kiyosaki, mm -hmm. did Rich. Uh, Thinking Grow Rich for Women, and then she did this awesome 
uh, piece with the foundation, uh, which was called Outwitting oh, the, the Devil. Devil. I love that one. Yeah, I mean, you know, what a wonderful job and how she, you know, you know, brought that out, you know. And I was thinking, well, where's the Asian choice? You know, I see the women's choice for women. She also did Thinking Grow Rich for Women. Where's the women? Well, I see the women. I see the Latino. I see the black. Where's the Asian choice? Right? And so I started Googling Thinking Grow Rich Asian, Thinking Grow Rich Oriental, Thinking Grow Rich Chinese, Korean, Japanese, and Thailand, Vienna, nothing. So that's when I called up uh, Don Green and I said, uh, Don, is there a thinking grow rich Asian choice? And he said, John, he says, we, 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 we don't. Which I couldn't believe. Right, which is mind blowing. And so, and, and there's a lesson to be learned from there. You know, when you always think that someone else would have already done it, you know, and no one has, that's when you have to go out there and do it, and do it yourself, right? Because you would always think like someone else did it or someone else did it. You know, you see a beautiful girl or a beautiful woman or a real handsome guy, you're like, oh, he's already taken. Like I meant, and this one lady I was talking to her, I said, so are you married? You have a boyfriend? You have children? She says, no, I'm single and I just need somebody to ask me out. Yeah. And I said, I said, what do you mean ask you out? I said, you're absolutely beautiful. And she says, you know, I don't know what it is. I scare men away, but I don't get asked out very often. I said, well, why do you think that is? There's something, I said, is there something wrong with you? And she says, no. And she starts laughing and, and, and she just says, uh, I think most people think that I would already have a boyfriend or something. And so I said, wow, all right, well, guys, she's single yeah. now, you know, and, but you, you just never know. So, you know, I called them up and, and my wife even said, I'm sure someone's already done it mm -hmm. in China, maybe, you know. Uh, they said, nope, we don't have it. Thinking Grow Rich and Asian Choice would be a wonderful thing. And I said, well, I would be honored if I can become the author of that. And so since January of this year, we've been off interviewing people almost daily, weekly, traveling all over the place, taking every opportunity to, to get in there and pick these people's brains and put them in the book, and it's been incredible. Can you say some of the people? Uh, yeah, uh, Steve Aoki is nice. uh, one of them. Uh, Steve was originally supposed to only be a 30-minute interview, and ended up becoming about three and a half hours. Nice. So that was awesome. We'll have what that was one takeaway you can share from him that you learned? Well, uh, gosh, I want to save that for the book, right? <laughs> but I'll tell you what, uh, I asked him, where did you get the idea of the cake throwing thing? Because he's famous for throwing his cake out into the audience and plastering everybody. Where did that come from? Uh, how did he get started? Because he is the son of Benny Hanna and uh, his Who's father. Benny Hanna owns, right, all the big restaurant chains, the Benny Hanna uh, Japanese uh, restaurants. Oh, wow. Yeah, and so his dad was famous. It's one of the most famous Japanese restaurants around the country. And so he was, he didn't receive any of that and had to start from scratch. His dad said, you're, gonna, you're not going to inherit any of this stuff. you got to do your own That's thing. That's good, though, because if you would have, it would have, <laughs> like, it's doing, like we talked about before, if yeah. you don't earn it, it's, you don't, feels as accomplished when you yeah. have it happen. You don't appreciate it as much. You don't yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, he was extraordinary and I appreciated him in his busy schedule. He travels about 220 days out of the year. He's in another country and there's times where he's actually gone to two different countries on the same day, like literally to do his tours and all that kind of stuff, you know. That's crazy. So uh, so yeah, he's uh, he's a remarkable. There was a girl named Jessica Cox. I don't know if you know Jessica Cox. I, think I do. Jessica was a, a, a Filipino girl born with no arms, and they don't know why she was born with no arms. There's no genetic, uh, there's nothing there that would indicate why she was born with no arms. It's just the way the Heavenly Father created her. And most people with no arms would start 
playing the victim card and all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. And guess what? This girl went on. She's in the Guinness Book of World Record to be the uh, first person in the world to get a pilot's license. Okay. Wow. And she's a four-time national Taekwondo champion, which is That's pretty amazing. amazing with no arms. Yeah. So she can pretty much kick anybody's butt with no arms right and now. It really shows that you can do anything if you put your mind to it. Absolutely. You know? And using your so-called disadvantage or fallback as your way to catapult forward. Exactly. You know, so many people, they play the victim. But mm -hmm. if you can learn to not play the victim, here's my situation. How do I use it to propel forward? That's right. Yeah. So before we go, what would be everything you've learned, what you've achieved, what's your best advice to give anyone to have success in life and fulfillment in all years, whether it's money, wealth, love, whatever it may be, Ooh. what is your advice? I would say uh, your one advice is to get into groups, some sort of a collaborative group, right? You know, if people say, well, you got to dream big. Well, what does dream big really mean? You got to think big. Well, what does that really mean? What do you think about? What do you dream about? Sometimes I tell people, you have to think about what you're thinking about, yep. right? Because that's such an important thing. Uh, when I talk about dreams, you know, I, most people, I would have never known that, uh, you know, that when you go to first class seating in airplanes, that they have different kinds of food than we do. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was sitting in coach in the very back, you know, sitting next to the bathroom in an airplane, right, in the two center seats and fighting for what elbow space on a chair rail uh, inside the plane. I didn't know that the first class gets all this other goodies up front, you know, and so once you experience that, you don't ever want to go back to coach seating anymore, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't know what it felt like to have a suite in a hotel room, but once you've experienced the suite, you never want to you go anything. Want to go back. You don't want to go back to anything less than that, right? Uh, there was a restaurant called the Sizzler, and I like Sizzler. It's got, you know what I mean? But, you know, but once I eat, you know, Ruth Chris Steakhouse, uh, I don't want to go and eat anything else. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. I feel like, uh, yeah, once you're driving a Rolls Royce, how do you go anything below a Rolls Royce? And I would have never known even what it felt like until I got into someone else's Rolls Royce. So it's so important they say, do be careful who you do associate with on a daily basis, you know? I don't, you know, I heard this saying where, you know, you are the average of the five people. I don't, I don't know if there's a whole lot of validity. Does that make sense? I mean, so if I hang out with my kids, uh, you know, they're, you yeah. know, nine and 11 and 15 years old, excuse me, and those are the people I'm hanging out with. Or am I the average of my five kids? I mean, you know. Um, it's a, who people you listen to and you collaborate with on projects and, absolutely. and take advice from, too. Absolutely. That's huge. Yeah. So I would say get into some sort of an organization, go and collaborate with people, get into a mastermind. And if you don't even know what you're going to do, other people will throw ideas at you. Or what mm. I love that you do is, and I always do this, if people are hungry looking for ways to, to learn, like you give them a job, or if I would go back in time, the first thing I would have did is I would have found somebody that I already achieved, I'm talking to my teenage years, mm -hmm. what I want to achieve, and I would have said, hey, I will work for you. You don't have to pay me. Just let me learn. That's right. And that would have made me just go so much further forward quicker. That's right. Because you learn so much and people are like, oh, I'm not getting paid. Yeah. That knowledge is worth so much. Yeah. Especially when they find out what you charge. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, I get to learn from you. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. There's people who come here and they work out of my house. You know what I mean? And, and you know, they're working and all of a sudden they're like saying, 
this is how I want to live now. You know, I can't imagine living in a home smaller than this, yeah. you know, and, it, and it's kind of crazy. You know, once you experience something, you, you just don't want to go backwards anymore. You know, well, I've had a great experience here. It's, it's been amazing getting to know more about what you're doing. When, when does your book come out? Where can I find the book? When so can I, I think, it? yeah, you'll see it on Amazon and yeah. all the different sites. Uh, there is a website that we have that you can pre-order it. TGR, right? Asianchoice.com. Yep. Books are 25 bucks. Yep. And uh, you'll see it everywhere coming out next next month in the month of November awesome. 2018. So. Well, congrats, man. Thank you, man. Thank you Appreciate so much. You, For all you listening and watching, you can find out the notes, how to get his book, but also the movie. Go to Amazon Prime. You can watch it now. Check out the movie and let us know what you think. Until next time, y'all, you know what time it is. It is time to go out there, create something great, and become unforgettable because life is too short not to. I'm Bernie T. Adams. Have a great day, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the show with John. The guy has so much knowledge, so much value to bring. Go check out the movie. You can check out the movie at BrandonTAdamsMovie.com. Or if you have Amazon Prime, you can watch it on there as well. You can go search Think and Go Rich, The Legacy. It's an amazing movie that's impacting a lot of people. Honored to be in that and also say I'm an associate producer of the movie. It's just doing so many great things. And, and John's an amazing guy. Go follow him on social media. He's always putting out stories and putting out content and taking video to the next level as well. So check out John on social media. We have everything at the notes. You can go to livetogrind.com forward slash 382. That's all I got for today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Until next time, y'all, you know what time it is. It is time to go out there, create something great and become unforgettable because life is too short not to. I'm Bernice Adams. Have a great day, everyone.